Hello and welcome to the Brain Break Room. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about lichen. Okay, so it doesn't seem that exciting, but actually lichen is really, really cool. And hopefully by the end of the episode, you will be convinced that it is one of the most interesting living things on this planet and has quite a few different contributions to science. So this is very exciting. Um, My experience with lichen has mostly been limited to just seeing it on trees and rocks. I grew up in central Virginia in the U.S., and so it has always kind of been this thin, paper-like, crusty thing that's on tree bark for the most part. But actually, a lot of you probably have very different experiences with lichen, but have definitely seen it. So it covers 8% of the Earth's surface, which is pretty, pretty wild. And not only does it live on trees and rocks, it also lives on beetles and plastics and leathers and also nothing at all. There's free-floating lichen just chilling in the air, which is pretty cool. And um, not only does it live in many different places, but also it varies a ton in how it looks. So much so that there is a whole new vocabulary to describe lichen. So the crusty stuff that I've seen um, is called crustose in formal scientific speak. There's also folios lichens, which... I don't have any experience with, I don't think, but I am looking at pictures so I can can bring bring the good word right to your ears um, and let you know that folios looks like kale, looks like kale on a tree. Um, and my guess is that it looks a lot of other ways as well. But the one I'm looking at, straight up kale on a tree. There's also fruticose lichen. And the three examples that I have in front of my eyeballs look very, very different. One has, it's also green, and it has these little like trumpet-like cornucopia things just sticking right up out of it. And then the one next to it actually has a nickname that tells you all you need to know. It is Old Man's Beard. It is like you took a clump of long white beard and hung it on a tree. And that is this lichen. And then the third example of the folios, nope, not folios, the fruticose lichen, um, looks, (sighs) how do I describe this? It is white-ish, white, I'd say, with a slight green tint and it's kind of hanging down like tendrils. If I saw just a picture of this and you asked me what it was, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's some sort of plant tree thing, but it's actually lichen. So that's pretty cool. And then finally, like I said, crustose, just different colored crust. I've seen um, what is probably the um, 
more common run of the mill mint green crust but there there are lots of other colors with slightly different textures and that sort of thing that grow on rocks and trees and all kinds of places so maybe you have seen one of those bad boys but you may not know that lichen is not only all around us, but also potentially in us. So it's used for things like antibiotics and also is an ingredient in the spice mix, garam masala. So next time you make a curry, you're ingesting a little bit of lichen, which is very cool. Most lichen is toxic. And so people don't go out and um, what's the word? Scavenge hunt for harvest. I don't know. Pick mushrooms. You know, you know what I mean. Forage, forage. Thank you. Thank you. I say to my own brain and whoever was out there thinking forage at the same moment to get it into my head and out of my mouth. I thank you. Forage. You don't forage for lichen because it's super de duper dangerous and almost all lichen are toxic but there are some that are not and are used for things that we ingest it's also used for dyes different dyes and fabrics and that sort of thing and also dye in um if you're familiar with the litmus test you might have done this in high school or middle school science lab or if you are just sciencing for a living now, you might do it all the time, but it's a way to test for pH. So you just stick a little strip in a solution and it'll change different color depending on the acidity of that solution. So how basic or how acidic it is. So lemon juice would have a different color than Let's see. What's the base? Like a baking soda water mixture. Sure. Probably more explanation than you needed. But really cool fact is that lichen is an ingredient that is used for the dye in the litmus test. That is why it changes different color based on the pH. So similar to that, lichen can also tell us about what is in the environment, which is super cool. It's what is called a bioindicator, which means that we know something about the environment based on which lichen are there and notably which lichen are not there. That's my poor puppy whining in the background. That was super dramatic, Kenny. Super dramatic. Okay, back to lichen and bioindicators. So you know based on which lichen are there and which lichen are not there, things about the environment, specifically pollutants. So old man's beard actually tells you something about the quality of the air because it can only survive in certain environments. So bioindicators in general... The reason why they work is that some can withstand a certain amount of a pollutant, let's just say lead or too much. What's what's another pollutant? I should know them. There are a lot of them. Let's let's stick with lead. I'm not sure if that's realistic. I don't know if there's any lead detecting lichen out there, but let's just say there's lichen that can withstand 
40 units of lead. And there's another one that can only withstand 10 units of lead. Then if we see the 40 and not the 10, we know that there's more than 10 and less than 40 lead in the environment. So that's the basic concept. And um, it's a pretty useful thing. There's actually a whole teeny tiny subfield of ecology slash maybe it's just a method or a technique, but it's called benthics. And it's where you use the bugs that are in, say, a stream to know about the quality of the water. So bugs can also serve as bioindicators. If you have some bugs that can only withstand certain types of environments and some that cannot. And so this is actually a really cool, I don't know, thing that scientists and ecologists do to use what we know about lichens or or bugs or plants and that sort of thing to learn about what is the current um, soil quality or air quality or water quality like. It's really neat. Let's see, what else can lichen do? Many, many things. They can, they've also been used as diapers or wound dressing historically because they are resistant to dehydration. So they can get really dry. You add a little water and they are A-OK. And so apparently those properties mean they're good for diapers and wound dressings. I can't tell you the specifics about that, but that's another way that lichen argues. So they're super, super, one, diverse in where they live, two, diverse in how they look, three, diverse in the way that us humans use them and see them in everyday life. Okay. I'm going to take a brief pause. If I were well-established, we could say it's for an advertisement, but it's actually for my puppy because he's still whining. Okay. Pause. We'll be right back. And we are back. Kenny is now happily fed dinner and has a ball that does not squeak. So we should be in pretty good shape for at least three minutes. So <laughs> hello, puppy momhood. So now that we've talked a little bit about what lichen is, let's talk about what it is not. So lichen is not one thing. It looks like one thing, but it's actually multiple organisms living together. And the person who came up with this idea is a Swiss botanist by the name of Simon Schwedner. And he thought of this in 1869. He said, wait a second, lichen is not just an autonomous fungus living by itself. It's actually, yes, a fungus, but it's also a partner um, that goes by the name of algae or bacteria, depending on which lichen it is. The idea is that you have this lichen fungus that provides the physical structure, shelter, and protection. And then it also acquires certain nutrients from the environment, whether that is rock that it's breaking down or the tree bark or soil or wherever it is. And then you have this, let's just stick with algae because that's the classic case. You have an algae that just does photosynthesis. 
So that means that it is taking carbon dioxide, water, sunlight, blammo, turning it into sugar and sweet, sweet oxygen. So this is a really important role, obviously. This is the being that is taking sunlight and what's in the atmosphere and turning it into energy that the lichen fungus can use. So it's really, really an interesting pairing because you have these two organisms that are not even of the same species, and they're each providing something that the other cannot do on its own and also needs to survive. So this was the first idea of symbiosis. So symbiosis now, I usually think of the like cute little fish in the shark's mouth that are like cleaning their teeth, just doing their little like dentist work in there. And the shark is scaring away like all the bigger fish and the tiny fish have food and it's all working out beautifully. Um, That's what I think of when I think of a symbiosis. And it's kind of a pretty commonly accepted idea that there are different species, different organisms that will work together collaboratively, even come to depend on each other. But back in 1869, this was not the case. At this time, scientists were really thinking that organisms are competing with each other or ambivalent to each other. Ambivalent? Is that the right word? They don't care about what the other organisms are doing as long as they're not causing them harm. Yep, there we go. Um, But this was the first idea. Wait a second. There can actually be a a purpose and a drive for different species to work together. That was really, really cool and kind of a revolutionary idea. And that that's kind of what we thought of as lichen and kind of lichen's first, I think, big contribution to biology as a whole is this idea of symbiosis. And that that was kind of its its uh, bestseller. Sure. Let's say that that was lichen's bestseller until um, just a few years ago, five years ago now in 2016. When a scientist acted on a dare, which is one of my favorite things, there was this big discovery and it happened because a scientist got dared to do a DNA sequence. That just like, it's so nerdy and also silly and it just makes me very, very happy. So this scientist that did not, did not give up on that triple double dog dare (laughs) he went all in on it was toby sprabella and he was bet to dna sequence lichen he was like okay great you know what i'm gonna find algae and fungus that's that's what simon schwittener said that i would find and that's what i will find but he actually found some dna that was from another organism. And so he resequenced another piece of lichen thinking, oh, the first one's a mistake. The first one's contaminated. And he found the same thing. Did another sample, found the same thing. And what it was was a single cell yeast 
that was present, it turns out, in lichens across six continents. So for these lichens across six continents, it would be way too simple to say it's just a fungus and algae because there's also this yeast that's hanging out there all the time. And so with this big discovery in 2016, um, this idea that lichens might actually not just be this kind of binary partnership, but this integrated ecosystem was born. And since then, scientists have found out that different lichens have different sets of basic partners. So sometimes it's the single cell yeast, and other times it might be another yeast. And there's also oodles and oodles of bacteria that are also there um, providing defense, providing vitamins, providing hormones. So lichen is not one thing. It's not two things. It's actually a dynamic ecosystem, which still boggles my mind, at least. This is why it's a true brain break. Because it looks like crust on a tree. It is like tree snot, but it's not. (laughs) Oh, no. It's tree snot, but it's not. Wow. Wow. You're welcome, everyone. Um, It's actually a dynamic ecosystem living on that tree of collaboration and dependence and symbiosis that just happens to look like lettuce or tree snot or whatever you want to call it. So that was lichens, well, really scientists that are studying lichens. Second really big contribution to the way we think about science and the way we think about biology is this idea of individuality being challenged because lichen isn't even this binary partnership. It's a dynamic ecosystem, but it's also one thing. Like, where does the fungus that is partnering in the lichen end and the algae begin if they are both needed for survival in addition to all of these other partners? Um, So that's a really interesting idea and goes into another, I think, big philosophical contribution to biology that's linked to lichen, which is the queer theory for lichen by David Griffith. So this is a paper. I'll put it in the show notes. But this was the idea that in order to study lichen, you need to ask non-binary questions because once again, it's not just a fungus and an algae that each have specific roles. It's actually a dynamic system. And so you need to break out of this kind of binary way of thinking that as people, we often get stuck in like male or female, good or evil, like thinking in binaries can be a really helpful way for us to simplify a super complex world. And I might even go into why we do this sometimes in in a future episode, but it often really fails to capture reality. And lichen is the perfect example where binary questions will really not get you anywhere because they don't have a chance of capturing what lichen truly is, what it does, and that sort of thing. So another um, kind of component, that's the cat that just jumped into the paper bag. (laughs) My pets, ladies and gentlemen, they're here all week and all the time. 
and I love them. And they're also loud and make podcasts recording difficult. So we're going to pause briefly, actually, for a made up advertisement. <laughs> Could be an advertisement if anybody has money out there and wants me to talk about a product. You could put an advertisement here, but I'm actually just going to go get my cat out of the bag, literally. Okay, I'll be right back. And we are back and the cat is out of the grocery bag. So we are ready to continue. So back to the Queer Theory for Lichens by David Griffiths. Wow, that's a really tricky one for me. It's a Queer Theory for Lichens by David Griffiths. Excellent. Um, so another thing that he talks about is that biology as a whole, as like a field, has overemphasized the importance of sexual reproduction in vertical inheritance. So I'm going to break that down a little bit. I mean, there's a whole lot to go into here, but it's this idea that evolution has been driving towards things that make sexual reproduction and passing on your genes to your children the goal. It's the explanation for why there are mating dances and why male peacocks have bright feathers and all of those things. So while that is very true, um, that kind of concept doesn't fit the best for everything. So for example, in the case of lichen, there isn't selection for most likely to for example, for the fungus to reproduce as an individual, there's actually selection for traits that will make it associate with other organisms because that fungus cannot survive without the algae and the yeast and all of the bacteria. So it's not just about that fungus wanting to pass on its fungusy je ne sais quoi to its little baby fungus, it's actually about traits that are going to make it best work with all of these other organisms from all these other species. So once again, if we're looking at the sexual reproduction vertical inheritance theory of lichen, we would expect fungus that were most quote unquote successful would be fungus that would make the most little fungusy babies and that traits that would make the fungus sexy to other fungus would be overrepresented. But actually for lichen, it makes a whole lot more sense to think about what about that fungus makes it so it can pair up with that algae and that it can also recruit that yeast and be a good environment for those bacteria and that sort of thing. So it's not about um, necessarily another fungus at all. It's about this whole ecosystem and actually coming together. So that's a really, I think, interesting idea that I'm still wrapping my head around. If you're interested in it, definitely go read this paper. He goes obviously, into a lot more debt about this idea than I am doing so now. That was another huge contribution that Lichen had to the way we can think about biology, think about science, think about the world around us. And I'm just going to leave you with a quote by Scott F. 
Gilbert and the other authors of this paper in 2012 that once again will be in the show notes. Um, And it says there have never been individuals we are all like in. And I just I think that's really beautiful because when it comes down to it, we like to think of ourselves as operating alone. But biologically, that's not true there. We have a whole microbiome that um, is collaborating with us and living in us all the time to make sure that we are healthy and process food and all of those things. And also we have other people, our lovely pets that may or may not interrupt your podcast, but they definitely um, bring something, something to your life and to your existence that would not be there otherwise. And Yeah, it's just, I think that's a beautiful way to say we're not in it alone. We are all lichens. So with that, um, I hope you join us next time in the Brain Break Room. Mm -hmm.